Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself have over a hundred years of making interesting decisions. We are revenue ops with an edge. Please subscribe to our newsletter, which can be found at sassholes.net or at the bottom of the podcast notes. Hey, today we're going to talk about performance reviews, one-on-ones, differentiation. But before we do that, we have an ad. This episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of your noodle. It's a brain map. Before the season starts, so you have a baseline to compare it to in case something happens. Doink. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup before the season starts. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. A lot of football camps have already started. It takes only 20 minutes to get the data you need to ensure the quality of your athlete's future life. Do you need a brain map for fantasy football? Probably. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you're playing fantasy football, you probably need to have your head examined, yes. Some, some Wait, of the picks, what does uh, that I, mean? Are you ripping on <laughs> fantasy football? No, no, no. I'm in. I'm in. They just uh, treat it like a full-time job. Yeah, are you saying that we should crazy. have a, a, a Sassholes uh, Fantasy Football League? That would be great. If oh anyone wants to join the Sassholes Fantasy Football League, please reach <laughs> out to us immediately, and we will organize. Please reach out to Jamie Carney. Bragging yeah. rights, which I'll win because he I will be ultimate. He will accept all payments and uh, prize payouts and – Put in your uh, kicker when you forget to. So, uh, Carney, feel free. Yeah. And the, the penalty for losing the league is actually becoming a co-host on the show. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's a big that penalty. this happened? Damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to our commissioner and you got, and now I'm a host. Hey, Carney. Yes, Pete. Carney. Pete, what? Pete, come on. <laughs> what do you call a pudgy psychic? A fortune teller. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Hey, we got a special shout out here. Jenny Graz. Carney, we can share in this one. Yeah, give her a shout out. She called me Woodstock. And I believe her and Michael Irwin and I would talk about that reality show a lot about, um, I think it was Thunder from Down Under reality show. It was pretty hysterical on VH1. Uh, so I got to give her a shout out for all of that stuff. BH, grass, BH. You, pronounce it, you pronounce it grass, Pete. Jenny Grass. Well, she, you know, she's got a husband called Jimmy, and I call him Jimmy Grasshole. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, this one's for you, buddy. Any I other shout outs? Out, yeah, Chuck Branding. He started, uh, he's a Southsider from Homewood Flossmore. Uh, he lives in Nashville now. I don't know if he's moving, but he just started a new job as VP of Global Accounts as Seismic. Uh, seismic. I'm trying to say that. And then Oscar Abara just had a birthday. Ibarra. Yeah. And he's uh he's he just had a birthday. He was on our show. I guess what he posted when I wished him a happy birthday was uh that he's one of those uh very unique cases where he got the vaccination and got hit with COVID after it. So he just recovered. So glad he's recovered. Good guy. Well, that's what that's what you get when you get the uh shot in the back of an alley. I just noticed how I uh, spelled my screen name there. Sass Hose. Yeah, we're going to get canceled. Yeah, you put the hose in yeah. Sass. <laughs> we'll edit that out uh, in post. Yes, I've got Farrah? a shout out. I've got a, sh- yep. I've got a shout out to Chris Garrett. Chris oh, yeah. Garrett. Go ahead. He is sales at Virology. Virology with Kevin Mapp. 
Yeah, Kevin's company. Nice. The redhead? That skillet? Scarrett? Yeah, that's Scarrett. Oh my God. Senior vice president. He's uh yeah. isn't Kevin Kevin Knapp over there? Yes. Yeah, he's a CFO over he's there. CFO. He's a mean keyboard player. He won't he won't respond to me. He won't uh join the band. He and I discussed that the last time I saw him uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. I told him I told him he should take that action, but I don't know I don't think he followed up on that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, he followed up with you, not me. That just shows <laughs> you the uh the backbone of these finance guys. You know, no response. You, you ask somebody a question, they don't respond. You know, why'd you just say no? He you responded know? to he responded just through me. Yeah. Uh, you know yeah. we call that? We call that weak stick. <laughs> well, maybe we get Chris Scarrett on the phone for the for the show. Maybe we get him on the show at some point. I th- oh yeah, he would be uh wait, he, who he are we talking off. about? Who's got no backbone? Kevin Knapp or Chris Scarrett? Oh yeah, I'm calling out Kevin Knapp for yeah, not replying. Up. No, there's no, there's no, uh, I don't know how he sits up in a chair. It's like jello. <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> wow. That's right. All over, all over ignoring your request to be on Chick Norris' keyboard. Yeah. Wow. Well, why ignore? He, Imagine. He, I, I got to hear, I got to hear it on a podcast through Ferrara at Hierology. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sure he's standing up strong in the boardroom. What other uh, shout-outs we got? KG, you got anything out there? He's not uh, He's not going to give you a shout-out after that after uh, that experience. Exactly. Try to be on the show. <laughs> no, I think I got the uh, just the, the another nice guy one. It's uh, my buddy Josh Beckman uh, at ZipRecruiter, former uh, veteran uh, uh, for uh, for our country. It's his birthday today, Josh Beckman. Unfortunately, he's a Raiders fan, so... I knock him down a notch for that. But happy birthday, Josh. You're an awesome dude. Hey, man. Are there any good football teams in California? Is there anything good in California? Well, uh, the, the, the answer is we're hopeful this year. <laughs> in an outburger? You know, what do you call uh, 140,000 acres burning California? Good start. Oh, a good start. Oh, wow. do, you know like why they, uh, do you know why they call them the 49ers? Why is that? Because we can't get past our own 49. Yeah, see that? See, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's right. You got to. We're Bears fans, Pete. We can't really talk at all. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's a hard I'm a fan of whoever's, whoever's winning. A hard life. The good news being a Bears fan is you guys have January and February off. Yeah. Well, Justin Fields, man, he got lit up like a pinball machine. You see that? He said the NFL is too slow, and then uh, somebody gave him a "How you doing?" Yeah. Hey, uh, Farrar, you got any deaths out there? Anybody die? No, oh, no, not that came across. Not that came across my desk. All right. Uh, this uh, week. Afghanistan. You want to touch on any of that stuff? Uh, leaving but billions worth of equipment. Anyone who's trying to sell software into Afghanistan should not. I wouldn't do it. All operations. Yeah. I wouldn't. Uh, no one was. I don't care. Is there a Four Seasons in Afghanistan? Even if there was, I wouldn't stay there. That's not a that's not a good idea. Yeah. But I hear you can get pretty good passports there. We'll edit that on post. Yeah. Okay. So main topic: performance yeah. feedback. Do we even do, do do companies even do that anymore? Are they afraid oh, yeah. to give? Uh, I always tell the people that work for me on performance reviews. I said, guys, I know this is tedious. You got to talk about yourself and got to go through typically work day in these forms and fill out these questions that you just don't feel comfortable about doing it. 
and I, I acknowledge all of that. And I also say, this is probably your most important thing you need to do as an employee. Why? Because you need to go through and rank yourself. And, and, and all honesty, I always say, if you think you did a bad job, I wouldn't, I would make sure you're selling yourself upstream. And no matter if you don't think you're holding to yourself to your own standards, uh, that doesn't mean your boss isn't, and you should be uh, evaluating yourself higher. I know at our former company, there were so many people that worked for me that at times would give themselves a lower ranking than I wanted to, and that actually increased their pay. And I couldn't give them more money because I couldn't say, well, I think you exceeded all your expectations, but for some reason they were very critical of themselves and gave themselves lower. I'm like, guys, now I can't give you an additional bonus. You should be very particular about ranking yourself lower, especially when it increases your variable, because your boss is going to want to pay people and they have statistics to hold to, and they want to pay the most valuable people in their org as much as possible at any given time. How do you deal with somebody, Jamie, who ranks themselves really, really high, but is actually not doing very well? Yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> shouldn't be. Yeah. Like, like all of our, all the performance re- reviews that we've done in our careers, which makes me puke performance reviews. Oh, I hate that oh, process hate so them. much. And we could talk about it further uh, later, but, um, but you get that disconnect, Jamie, like there's the people mm-hmm. that like think really, really highly of themselves and they're so far off from reality and you give them the, you know, the lower rating. Now you have to have that conversation. Like how does, how do you, how do you think about that one? Those are uncomfortable conversations, but those are conversations you're not a good leader if you don't have those conversations. What's shocking is when, when I've had those uncomfortable conversations and then it comes to the annual, um, you know, your annual pay increases. And we announced that the average pay increase is 3% and this person gets 0%. And they still think they're doing a great job and they're still sort of surprised by it. Some people just can't take a clue. You know what I mean? But, yeah, but whose, fault, whose fault is that though? Why should it be a surprise? Well, that's what I'm saying. Some people can't take a clue. You well, need to have those conversations. Mean? You need to have those conversations with them during the entire your one-on-ones. Yeah, that you're not happy with their performance. So when they come back and say, "I did an awesome job," you can. You're like a broken record saying, "No, I don't think you did." If they say they're surprised, you got to one. You got to document everything. We said that on other ones too. Like if I don't think someone's doing a good job, I'm documenting. Well, what's a one-on-one? Yeah, well, it's the most important meeting you're going to have, right? Because every single piece of performance interaction that you'll talk about starts and ends with that one-on-one. And when we all work together, that was, you know, there are a handful of like very core things that I learned when we all work together. And one of those was the one-on-one is the most important meeting. It is an ongoing performance evaluation. It is the moment of truth. It is where you are honest. You document that stuff so that when performance eval time comes around, whether you, you do it, whether it's a one-year event or quarterly mm-hmm. or however your company does it, you've got all this information. But it is so much better because my memory is better week to week or day to yep. day or whatever your one-on-one cadence is. And you really cover the stuff in a timely fashion. I would rather have a series of one-on-ones than an annual crank up the performance engine and go, you know, the fill out the forms and all that. I'm like, Ugh, don't give me that. Just give me a series of really great one-on-ones. That's what I want. What, what tools have you guys used to document those one-on-ones? I couldn't agree more, by the way. You know, but what Pete's getting at is if you get to the end of the year 
and the and the person, the salesperson you're talking to thinks they're doing great and you think they're performing like shit. Yeah. Well, that's on you, man. Because yeah, right. you have not had those conversations. That's right. And so so yeah, so absolutely. And so I totally agree with you, Jason. Like the weekly one-on-ones, absolutely. But and you're right, because of the memory, you know, you can't just crank up that annual review. Yeah. What what tools have you guys used in the past that our listeners should be paying attention to, to document on that? I mean, that sounds kind of daunting document everything. How do you, how you, how do you guys recommend tools to do that, to make it easy? I use a book and a pen and paper. Number one, without a doubt, that's where I keep a bunch of stuff. Pete used to call it my Bible. He was afraid of my book. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah. You you told me you were worried I was going to write an expose. But I always kept three books on my desk. I think it was the Bible, the Quran, and uh, the Torah. My, the Torah. My book. And of when, notes. When, no, but when people would say, you know, give give us give me their reason why they're not doing well, they said, well, they don't have a good book, and I say, my friend, there's only three good books in this world, and they're on my desk. So, getting <laughs> we'll, we'll used fifteen. So I, I use a I use a notebook, but we used fifteen five at my previous employer. And from a tool perspective, I my personal feeling is every tool you'll use you'll like, and every tool you'll use you'll hate. You just have to choose which one you're going to adopt as part of your organizational health program. Mm-hmm. And we used fifteen five. I thought it was fine. I'm sure there were things I would like to add to it, but it helped track it and. I could read it. My team could read it. That's really what you need. Google Docs works just fine. Yeah, go- right. I mean, Google Docs. Like, exactly. like the, don't don't overcomplicate. I can tell you yeah. that there are plenty of situations where, at my former employers, where we had tons of salespeople, and they would start to make claims about this, that, and the other. And just by <laughs> sharing my document and all my notes for the last couple of years about the performance of that particular person, HR just goes. Oh, all right. Well, this person's full of shit. So go away. And, uh, and because the documentation was there, it saved me a thousand times. I think we used things like Lattice in the past and some other, you know, engines where, you know, you'd write up an agenda, the salesperson would add an agenda and it's sort of this collaborative platform. But frankly, Google Docs, just Google Docs, put a date on it and, and, and just jot down the, the notes and, I'm telling you what the, the salesperson's not doing that. The employee's not doing that, and and uh, it'll it'll really benefit you. And to Jamie's point, you know, you're when you're writing that annual review. I got burned by this early in my career. I gave somebody a low performance, and he looked me in the eye and said, "Give me an example of when I underperformed that was outside of like yeah. quota attainment." And I went, "Good question." Shoot. <laughs> There was nothing in my annual view. There was nothing of substance that pointed to a specific situations situation. Mm-hmm. Had I followed Jason's guidance of documenting everything week by week, and I could have then said, yes, on this particular date with this particular client in this particular situation, this demonstrated the fact that you don't, you know, you have communication issues. Uh, that's critical, and you can't do that off the top of your head with fifteen employees. You know, it's really. Mm-hmm really difficult. Couldn't agree more. Well, you got to remember one, there's one particular thing that comes into play here when it comes to, you know, variable bonus increases or the year end bonus and stuff like that. The fact that you might've been sold on the fact that if you overachieve everything, you could get a bigger bonus if, if that's the case, or you can get a bigger salary increase and stuff like that. 
the reality is only some people in your company can or only some people yeah. in your division yeah. can because budget comes into play. So they don't when they when, when the finance guys budget everything, they don't budget everyone rainbows and unicorns. They budget, <laughs> you know, 5% or 10% of the employees will get more and 10% will get less. And so therefore as a boss or a leader, you might have 20 people in your org and seven of them you might think did a phenomenal job and went above what you asked them for and things of that nature. The tough decisions are made. Maybe only three can get the extra uh, juice, um, you know? And so that's something to think about. Um, and that's why I always tell people, especially the, the ones I like, make sure you fill out that form correctly and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. I want to know, where, I want to make sure all seven of those are eligible. And then when I get the numbers back and say, you three people can only get the extra. Okay. Then I got to pick and choose which three. It, it's well, something to think. Well, this can be a really big problem as when you go to a startup and as it grows, and if you don't get this down, right. Remember technology is there to help speed up a process. Right. And if you don't have a process to speed up, it's okay. Work day. Okay, great. Jason uses a notebook, another department uses another thing. And as the company grows, you have a bunch of people doing doing their own thing and they're operating in, in, in silos. So I think it starts, it really starts with whatever your uh, mission statement is at the company, whatever your values are, that should tie into recognizing whether your employee has those values or not. So a good way to do that is what, whatever the values are going to be, you know, the big wigs get together and it could be uh, getting a common vocabulary like Jack Welch was great. He had winning out. Uh, he had, what was it? Four E's and a P. He would grade everybody on uh, energy, energizes, edge, execute, and passion. You would rank them, you know, one to five, five good, one one not good. If you're going to have a one-on-one, obviously, if somebody's newer, you're going to meet with them more often than somebody's more more like a veteran. Whatever the communication is, if it's weekly, bi-weekly, every month, it could be as a simple email, and you take that email that you sent to the person go to your sent file and then re-forward that to the person with your new notes. At the end of the quarter, you got all these emails that are forwarded all the notes and do your quarter review. You take all your quarter reviews and you make your annual review and it should be easy. And if the whole company has some type of process to use, like Jack Welch's four E's and a P, but then you got salespeople and then you have non-salespeople, right? Yeah. I think it's the craziest thing in the world to do a salesperson review annually. It just doesn't, I don't care how slow your sales cycle is, you know, you, you're going to wait till the end of the year to uh, give them a ding and your sales cycle could be longer. It's, it, it's a waste of time and, and a, an employee should never, ever be surprised that they should know it's coming because let's bring up reduction in force. Okay. A riff. All of a sudden you get that call, uh, Kevin, you got to lose 20% of your people. Uh, I need the answer tomorrow. What do you do? And then you pick all the people you like <laughs> subjectively. <laughs> that just, that's, a, that's a problem. It's horrible. That's it horrible. 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 Yeah. horrible. Let me ask you a question, yeah. Pete. This one, this one, uh, I, I got I got two inflammatory questions for you. Re- regardless of the time frame that you do your performance reviews, is it possible to give a salesperson? who's exceeding or hitting or exceeding quota, a below 
uh, below expectations performance review? It, it is possible because if you're doing that one-on-one, I mean, that's also like a, a goal setting. You know, you, you're you the leader. You're going to hold them accountable to the goals that they give you. Because remember, quota is just, it's a bar. How much money do you want to make? Part of the goals are the vision boards. Okay, you want a house, trip, car, and whatnot. You said you want to make 200 grand. You're only running your business at 120 grand. I'm going to give you below average results because this is what you told me to hold you uh, accountable to. Do you... Uh, did you change your goals? Okay, well, let's sit down and let's, you know, do that. If you do it like that, it's fine. There are situations in software companies where you're well hunting. Maybe the person that you're dealing with inherited an account that he or she stumbled across a huge opportunity. Well, other people are going to jump at that and sort of help bring it across the line, but that's his opportunity. So he gets quota credit for it. But at the end of the day, Honestly, let's be honest. Some of these sales reps might not be that good. They just happen to have the opportunity. And next thing you know, the CEO or the CRO or the leader is just taking over because they don't trust that that person's going to get done. So in the rankings, this person looks like he did a great job or she did a great job. But in reality, he or she didn't do as much work as you thought. You don't trust him as much, but he hit his So So he or she is protected. They're not going to get fired. You can't fire somebody above quote, I don't. Sure you can. Well, yeah. Unless they do something, unless they do something wrong. We're just talking about we're talking about quota attainment. We're not even talking about whether the person is an asshole or not. Like that's right. You can you can have a really high functioning, high performing asshole, and no one wants to work with them. And I, I mean, I've seen those people. I've had those conversations with people, and and that's where you go. You know what's not worth it? Hitting quota when you're poisoning the culture. Especially in a company where, I mean, company I went to after Career Builder was 30 people. And if there was an extreme asshole there, you, you couldn't operate. It would just right. shut down the whole thing. You know, and that's not a function of just small companies, but that's why you do it. That's the, oh, I mean, those, and those people you just got to take it on the chin. They're on a shorter leash. They mess up once they're gone, right? That's sort of, well, you're, wait, you're waiting for them to mess up. Chemo won't cure that cancer. Surgery is the only thing. So it's yeah, that, right. that, that that goes without saying. Because if you have a team of eight or ten, I mean, you got an eight-cylinder engine, and only you know six or seven of the pistons yeah. are firing. You can't do that. The example I was talking about wasn't an asshole. It was somebody who's good but just not competent. Nice person, but just yeah. maybe not competent in that role. Sure. Those are the hard ones you can't get rid of when they're above quota because they're nice people. They're doing what you're asking them to do. You just don't have any confidence with them. Those are the ones you want to move out, but you're waiting for the time to move out. Do you have incompetent people who are above their quota? Or do you have incompetent people who are close to their quota? Incompetent people above their quota happens. There's there's a good, I would say 10% of the people that hit their quota are incompetent or not, not, not your best sales reps. Uh, They shouldn't hit it every year. This is great. Jamie, I love that by the way. And, And I think what you're getting at is, you know, for the new manager listeners or whatever, should you be setting expectations only around quota attainment or should you Mm -hmm. be setting expectations around behaviors that lead to that? For example, you mentioned long sales cycles, software pipeline is the lifeblood of SaaS businesses for F's sake. And everybody on this call knows that you have to have a certain amount of pipeline coverage to get to your goal. So what happens when you've got a salesperson who exceeds quota, but their pipeline generation is for shit? Pete, you know, from what I understand, you ran a pretty tight ship over there. 
And there was things they needed to do besides just hit quota. Am I right? Just like you, brother. Uh, look, man, if you go by stack rankings, you know, there's a sales cycle involved. You can have somebody that's number one and they take their foot off the gas for a couple months. You know, they're gone and it's a, it's a, it's a death spiral. A leader can't let somebody go that long without putting in the work or filling up that funnel. That's right. Bob Montgomery. Yep. Mm-hmm. Bob Montgomery was our former CEO at our former company and great sales guy. I mean, he could sell anything to anybody. And one of his rules he made one time was if you hit quota, if you hit your annual quota, you can take as much time off as you want. And I think one person, he would tell me this story, one person in like the fourth month of the year sold his annual quota. And he left, didn't show up to the company until day one the following year. Within 30 days, he was put on plan. And uh, 60 days later, he was gone. And he said, that's fine. I paid you. You, you followed the rules. But I'm not going to sit there and say, I, I wish I kept you on board. He goes, you pay, you, you reap what you sow. You took nine months off of the year. So now you have a very short leash. Same thing happens with these guys who might hit quota and have horrible pipeline. It's going to catch up with them eventually. And we should not, uh, as a rev ops person, you should not be promoting, keeping this guy on, hoping he strikes gold again. Knowing what you know now, Jamie, if you were the CEO of a company, would you employ that policy? If you hit your goal at the beginning Depends of the year, on the quotas, right? The- if I'm making quotas so all these guys can hit it and everyone's happy and it's rainbows and unicorns, I would not be doing it. If I hit quotas that are stretched because I'm trying to do major growth, yeah, I might. I mean, uh, it's a reward. You know, if I, if I don't have the money to reward them, maybe that's a way I can reward them. But I would have the same mindset. I paid you for last year. I don't care about history. I only care about moving forward. If you don't have anything moving forward, you're not hitting your goals. You're gone. Now, if somebody sold their annual quota and stayed on board and was working on their pipeline and trying to increase that and, and they hit some rough times, I'd give them a little bit more of a path, pass than somebody who said, hey, I made my money. I'm gone. See you in nine months. I think that, I mean, I like that story. And most of the stories I hear about Bob, I enjoy because there's a lot of learning that goes on. Just mm-hmm. those, those little stories. I, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. I look at that as like, for first of all, for somebody to take him up on that, if that's a real thing, what a complete idiot, because what did that person expect was going to happen? Number one, it's, it's a trap. And number two, as, as a manager, you know how much stuff goes on every single day in a company that you want the input of, of the top seller. You want the input of the, of the people in the field. I mean, as a marketer, like that's, my lifeblood is to understand what's going on there. And for somebody to select themselves out like that in that kind of extreme way, I mean, they don't want to be there. And then therefore I don't want them to be there because I'm not going to learn anything from them. I didn't, I didn't learn anything in their mad dash to hit their quota in four months. What I would learn is what goes on. In the, and, and this, you know, sort of gets back to a company's a community. And when you're working in that community, you know, that's important. And that's why you do a one-on-one and that's, it's just all wrapped up. I just, I, I mean, I love that story, but it, what a what a tremendous trap that is, and what a complete idiot that person is to have taken him up on that. If that was in case the deal, if that was in fact the deal, I could tell you what I made that mistake, Jamie. I did that at the beginning of building uh, at ZipRecruiter. I did that. I said, 
come and go as you please. All I care about is hitting your quota. Take the long lunches, come in late, leave, leave early, yeah. take three day. I don't care. We don't, we're not going to track vacation. You know, we had an unlimited vacation policy, you know, at, uh, at that time. And I, I look back on that now knowing what I know. And that was, uh, that was a huge mistake. It was a huge mistake because what ended up happening was that the behaviors that would, would lead to success mm were not being controlled at scale and uh, and that became problematic and furthermore not everybody of course were hitting quotas but yet yeah. there was this culture of come and go as you please and if you and some people had hit quota previously but weren't hitting quota this month and yet they were still coming and going as they pleased and taking three martini lunches you think I'm kidding and and it was uh, and and I regret that I regret that but at the same time having a culture with some level of flexibility uh, associated with their lifestyles, I think is, is, is important there. But as it relates to the performance management, you know, I screwed that pooch, <laughs> Jamie, I screwed that pooch. That was, that was, I would not do that again because I didn't think about the future scale and what that was creating at the, at, at our company. Yeah, I agree. I think it can bleed into the culture. I think if you have the culture focused on every month, every day, your job, you have to earn your seat here, especially every month. And then you give that as a reward. That's fine. And I feel like at one point at our former company, that's how it was. You miss it one month, you're on a pip the next month. You know, there's no, oh, I like you because we had three martini lunches and yeah. and things like that. And yeah. I love it because you and I go golfing. It was black and white. You miss, you're on. Obviously, at scale, and as you get bigger, you lose more and more of that control. And and what happened at our former company was probably a lot more golf than selling. You know what I mean? Uh, um, that culture did permeate through, but that I don't know if that's from that policy or if that's from a bunch of other things that occurred. But when should be the first one-on-one? Uh, the first week. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't it before that, though? I will say I interviewed someone yesterday. I asked them to do an assignment for me and I critiqued their assignment in a, in, in the subsequent interview and then said, so if you're offered this job and you choose to take the job, this is the kind of conversation we're going to have all the time. And so if I do hire that person, I did just have their first one-on-one, which was in an interview. And this person's response to that, I thought was really interesting, not freaked out by it at all. And actually said, okay, that's great to know. I, I like to understand your communication style though. And that worked out really well. And I really never, that's a great question because I never thought about that as the interview is that first one. Well, before the offer letter is sent, right? You have their attention. I'm going to bring you on. Here are my reservations, but I'm going to take a chance on you. These are the things that I'm concerned about that I think you're going to need to work on to be even more successful at this job. So maybe that's where, you know, it starts. So there can be no confusion at all. If there was a gap in a resume, uh, if there was uh, uh, follow-through issues on it, those concerns before the offer letter is sent, I think, is is huge. We haven't brought up uh, HR at all. When do you bring uh, HR in to have a third person so there's no he said, she said? Well, it's not going well. The day you fire them and they walk into the meeting and the HR person is sitting there, they know yeah. immediately shortens the conversation 100%. So let's, let's do it from two perspectives. As a, as a person giving the, the reviews, 
you bring the HR person on when it's not going well and you need a third party to help document whatever you're about to say. But as a, an employee who's getting a review, when do you feel you should reach out to HR? And I think that's a trickier question. Well, I think done properly. I mean, the answer, I think, Pete, done properly, the human resources team or the human capital team is human always, capital team. Okay, is always involved in the developmental conversations. Right? There's always something going on there that should be asking other managers so that. So that it's not always the negative option when the HR team is involved. And I think that's hard to do because there are a lot of other tactical things that HR team's doing. Well, if you got a new leader, I would have, I have a certain way to do, I do business. Kevin has a certain way. Jamie has a certain way. Farrar, you got a certain way. You've been in the business for a long time. You have vice presidents, you have managers and whatnot. And this is the process that the, the manager is shadowing, okay, but I'd also like the HR to shadow a new new leader on a one-on-one because that's the biggest problem with the new leaders having a difficult conversation. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing harder to, you know, to hold somebody yeah. accountable. There could be the way you want it done and the way the mm-hmm. HR wants it done and, and having them be a part of that to get their two cents on it. Uh, I think there's some value in that. My advice for employees that are having a difficult time with their boss be very document a lot of that information with their boss and be very particular about how you communicate your issues with HR because at the end of the day HR is there to protect the company at the end of the day if you come off as you're a victim and you're complaining about this and you're complaining about that HR could be consulting with the leadership about just removing you as a, as a nuisance. So you do have to be careful about how you operate and how you interact with HR. Don't go there and complain about stuff. Go there with documentation and show them the documentation so that they understand you do have an issue here. There is incompetence with your leader. There is favoritism. There is some of this stuff. Don't just go there and spout off that I just, where it comes off, I don't like my the guy I report to or the person or the woman I report. Make sure you go there with facts and your your everything's documented. Recap, recap, recap. Yes. Recap. I know that's not a popular uh it's probably not popular with our HR friends. <laughs> is no, it really? I think, I think the point is the point is documenting things is important regardless of who you go to. It's impossible to go to your employee or your manager if you don't have stuff documented. It's impossible to go to the HR team and complain if you don't have stuff documented. So you got to document things. Mm-hmm. Things that are good, things that are good too, right? Like my-, my That's right, my, that's my right. Point about, my point about HR is really don't just involve HR when you've got something that is challenging, difficult, or unpleasant. Because then everybody hates that. Everybody yeah. hates that. So the point is, Really, an HR team should be there to, to be a springboard for the company and drive you to have better one-on-ones. I think that's Pete's point. Like, teach us how to do this the right way so that these are productive conversations that are documented. And then if you need me in the negative time, okay, you got me. But if you need me also to help celebrate something, you got me. And that's really the important thing, I think. You get, you get trod upon a lot as an HR person because it's just like, well, I'm firing somebody. Can you come into the meeting so that I have a third person there? Like, yeah. ugh. That's not the right way to use them. I mean, 
get used that way, but that's not the right 100%. You know, it's not the right Sa- way to do it. Same with a p- performance improvement plan. It shouldn't be a negative yeah. thing. It's, you know, it's just the, it's the ultimate document to hold somebody accountable. Yeah, you right. got little little clues along the way with the recaps, but this is the official document that says, "Hey, man, the shit's real." Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And if you if you just wait till the very end, you give them a bunch of things that they got accomplished in two weeks that no way they can do it, and you're just going to can them. It, you're wasting your time. What's great about what you said, Pete, is how transparent that is. I, that's always been your brand to me, which is you're really good at being that transparent. Like, here's what's important. Here's what we've talked about. This is the deal. You either do it better, you improve in this way, or you're not going to be here, right? And let's mm-hmm. just be very open about that. And this isn't necessarily a negative thing. Maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe there's something else for you to go do. But open and transparent is really a positive, a positive thing, too. You got to say it a lot nicer. Don't say it like I do. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, did you, ever, uh, did you ever document your expectations for every new hire uh, with outside of, you know, quota attainment or minimum attainment, right? Like that, that kind of stuff. Like, Hey, when you are here, you need to make sure to keep Salesforce up to date. You need to have X amount of pipeline, X amount of calls, X amount of conversations, X amount of demos, trials. Like, did you ever like you, document those types of behaviors for your teams? Yeah. It's, it started with the offer letter because you can't be in every interview. You know, you got to trust your VPs and managers and whatnot. But on that first day of training, I always did uh, a meeting with everybody that said, look, here's what's expected of you. Here's what's going to happen. And if you don't do it, you're going to be gone. And I have an agreement with HR that says, if you don't do this work in the next four weeks, you know, you're out of here. Okay. That's the negative side. The positive side is this, this, and this. So so yeah, the very first day of training when they came in, uh, I also sent a letter that said, these are the expectations, you know, letter from the vice president. I, we expect you to do this in the first two weeks, then yeah. the next three to four weeks and whatnot. So, because uh, it gets tricky once you get to the several hundred people, I can only imagine the thousands. Uh, the, the first one-on-one I told the managers was before you send the offer letter, put it in writing what you expect of them. The first day of training, whoever the ultimate leader is, when you greet everybody in that first day of training, lay everything out and, and then s- send them a, a physical letter uh, to make sure that there's no questions. So yes, Kevin. Yep. Yeah. And you're talking about behaviors and not just outcomes. You're talking about, you know, calls and, and things like that, right? The amount of work that had to be put in to produce whether it's dials, set appointments, funnels, yeah, you know, exactly. wh- whatever. It, yeah, exactly. So let me poke the bear for a second. I totally agree with you on that. But Pete, isn't that micromanagement? <laughs> isn't that micro? You're being a micromanager, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, you know, I've called that multiple times. <laughs> oh my Son god of a bitch and so, micromanager. Right so where so where does that where is where is that line yeah. Pete? you it, you know you you cannot control outcomes you can control behaviors so so if you just say oh go hit your quota well then like where's your freaking you know magical one Pete, you got to control behaviors and you know that so so what what's the difference that now all of a sudden you're this micromanager so like where's that line man Oh my God. Now with all the technology, how can you not be a micromanager? Oh my God. Cadence calls. That just makes me freaking sick. (laughs) Oh yeah. 90% chance of closing. Okay. Yeah. That'll yeah. Three X funnel and all that's taking it to the next level. 
if you're actually talking to somebody and you're having a conversation that's moving things forward, whatever you want to call that, the more of those that you have, the better your odds are that you'll be successful. So, well, it's probably not my, everybody on the team, right, Pete? If you got a team of, I don't know, double digit, triple digit people, everybody doesn't need the same treatment. Some people can handle that. Some people do their right. their opportunities right. Some people forecast properly and make all the calls. Some people don't, and those people that don't, and if you're not if you're not meeting your expectations, you you bet I'm going to micromanage that. One of our first shows, we we were talking about differentiation and we had an X and Y axis. And there was the, the amount of work that you put in, the amount of the results that you have. And you'll see a trend and, and, a, and a size of a bubble, which means the amount of revenue that you generate or invoicing. The bigger the bu- bubble, the more money that was coming in. When somebody comes in off the street, you can handle them putting in a lot of work with no results. Okay, let's just say that would be the top left of the XY axis. Okay, then they get good at what they're doing and they're working hard and they're they're doing results. Then you would see them fall into the bottom right axis, and it'll be a picture. You'll have veterans that come in that don't have to work as hard, but they're able to put up the results. When the veterans aren't working as hard and they don't have that work to put in the funnel, then they go into the not working hard and no results category. And it's either they exit or you got to get them back in the cycle as like a new hire, right? Working hard, new results. So it's a, it's just a cycle. If you can rank everybody like that, depending on whatever your sales cycle is, I think that's, that is really helpful to take the quadrant. To me, that would be bottom left, not working hard and no results. You got to do a reduction in force. Everybody knows if they're in that bottom left quadrant, you're going to you're going to leave before somebody that's in the top right quadrant. That's it. End of so- sermon. And if you want any help with your company at looking at this stuff, reach out to those assholes. There's a lot of uh, smart people here that can help uh, look at your companies uh, and, and go through this process as well. Damn right. Oh, we'll, we'll, we will poke you to death. That's right. Thank you for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jason, Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And we ask you to just give us five stars on Apple Podcasts because if they can't hear us, we can't help them. Sign up for the newsletter up on our site, or you can buy us a beer on uh, Patreon. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. All right. We got everybody. Hey, Kevin. Unless somebody has a better uh, idea giving feedback, performance reviews. I don't care what we talk about as long as we are consistent. You know what? I had a thought um, that I didn't send an email. And let me just say it now while I'm sitting here thinking about it because we may be able to get a guest on this. But um, what about people who are career SDRs? Should we talk about what that means because i was in a meeting the other day and we were talking about somebody who was an sdr the guy who was talking about this person said he never wanted to be an ae he just sort of wants to be a career sdr and i thought huh that's a thing what do we how do we feel about that thing and what's the point so anyway whether that's a legitimate topic or not i thought might be well you just well well, you just brought it up so it's a topic (laughs) i don't find it Find someone who just wants to be a career SDR is kind of weird. Why wouldn't they want to go make more money selling? 
Yeah, so well, that was a... my first thought too, right? But then I thought, you don't want the responsibility quota, or what if you're really, really good at doing what the definition of that SBR is, like setting them up for somebody else to knock down? If you're really good at that, oh my god, there's like a utility player there that's incredibly important. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you compensate that person well for doing that job? That's, well, that's the, the key problem. word. You're not going to compensate them that well, right? You're going to compensate them enough, but the reason why you have those guys is because it's cheaper. You're never going to pay them like a, you know, an AE. It sounds like it's somebody no. that's always going to hit the upper end of the scale, so they're going to max out their. I'm sure their conversions are going to be really good, but they're going to max out their cap plan, and some yeah. people are risk averse and they don't want any more than. You know, fine. You just, yeah. Don't you give them more freedom and don't be a dick to them, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, that I, was well I, said, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you guys can you, hear me uh, clearly? By the way, yeah, uh, we yeah. we we hear you absolutely fantastic. You got a new headset? Yeah, I'm gonna give that a shot because uh, you know it sounded like I was mumbling the last few times. That um, uh, zoom, that zoom for you. All right, this should be better. I tested it out beforehand. All right, let's fire this up.